Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Bring yourself back online. No one knows what I'm thinking. Tell us what you think of your world. This is just a cheap trick. Some people choose to see the ugliness in this world. I choose to see the beauty. Welcome to Still Watching Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO series Westworld. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. Each week we'll break down the latest theories, baffling questions, and hidden allusions, as well as occasionally chat with someone who has worked on the show itself. This week we will be discussing season two, episode one, Journey Into Night, written by Lisa Joy. Jonathan Nolan, Robert Patino, and directed by Richard Lewis. Before we get into the bulk of the episode, though, Richard and I wanted to do a little like, where were we before we started this season? Because I needed one myself. So just to catch us all up, um, we should say, you know, we're a Vanity Fair podcast, so we can plug our own site. There is a great video by uh, Westworld actor Jimmy Simpson, who played young William, does this sort of uh, six minute breakdown of season one. It has almost everything you need to know in there. So you can go watch that video if you want to. Uh, but we can sort of uh, talk about this. The Richard, the really brief recap that yeah. I'm using uh, for this is a plane crash on an island, and they don't. Know yeah, <laughs> there's some mysterious yeah. others. Right. No, um, that uh, if we're if we're watching Jurassic Park because like Westworld is Michael Crichton sort of working out his Jurassic Park stuff before he writes Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Um, the fences are down and the dinosaurs are out. That's the end of season one, right? Like they're, yeah. they're like yeah. 
fences up in the minds of these robots, but now they're down. Dinosaurs are out. Jello is on the menu, and people are going to die. So uh, a character literally yeah. says at one point in the premiere episode, "It's like the inmates are running the asylum," and it's like, well, yes, that's pretty on the nose, but that is what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that that character at least the Lee Sizemore character who is like the writer, aka stand-in for a showrunner, like he speaks in cliches, and I kind of yeah. like that about yeah. him. So totally. Um, yeah, but so so what else do we need to talk about in terms of where we left off? Um, Anthony Hopkins is dead. By his own design, uh, right? Where, where he, he sort of uh, instituted a new narrative in the park that involves him being dead and all of the, well, not all, but some of the hosts kind of claiming the autonomy that he and Delos Corporation and Westworld had long denied them. So it's kind of him sacrificing himself to correct a, a great wrong. Right. This is his um and, and the final narrative, he 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 spent a lot of season one uh terraforming the park, doing all this stuff, building this final narrative, uh, which he called Journey into Night, which is the name of this premiere episode, Journey into Night. Uh, you know, we assume in a reference to Long Day's Journey into Night, but uh here we are. It's nighttime in the park and all hell is broken loose. So yeah, this is Ford's design. He has liberated his creations. Killed a lot He's of the wrote- people who have invested in the company, apparently. You know, all these rich swells who were out there for a party are now all dead. We hated um, the you're you're I know you're a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. I promise not to like go too deep into the Buffy world. But there's this season three episode. I think it's just titled The Prom where um, our villain of the week has trained these hell beasts to mm-hmm. attack people in formal wear. They're like triggered by people in formal wear. <laughs> yeah. and, I kind of feel like that's what ha- what has happened here is uh, everyone who's in formal wear, you're in trouble uh, mm-hmm. in this in the season premiere because uh, yeah, if you've got a tux on or a gown, the the hosts are targeting you. Uh, it seems like specifically. So yeah, uh, our two main hosts or three, I would say that we want to follow very closely are Evan Rachel Wood's character Dol- character Dolores, who is like the alpha host uh the original host and she is definitely awake and out for vengeance yeah and in the first is, season yeah. there was a constant mention of a of a sort of arch villain named wyatt that they kept referring to and it turns out that it's her it's her she's got two person or well, three she's like the rancher's daughter wyatt and then now she's like but also i'm me so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh there we go and then we've got tandy newton's character mave who we also saw wake up in a sort of different path uh, last season. I think the reason that Ford woke her up last season was to create the chaos behind the scenes that she created. Um, but at the end of the season last year, we see her, she's on a train. She could potentially be leaving the park, but we see her get back up and go back in to look for her robot daughter, who she feels emotionally connected to, even though that's just a character that they wrote for her. Um, Jonathan Nolan, you know, one of the co-creators of the show, gave this interview where he said, uh, "If you watch, if you rewatch the finale last year, um, when Maeve gets up, the camera goes from steady cam to handheld, and it's very shaky. And for him, that meant uh, that that was to signify that like she was definitely thinking for herself in that moment. Like she's not programmed to come back to the park. Maeve is now officially thinking for herself. So." got Dolores, we've got Maeve, and then we've got Jeffrey Wright's character, Bernard. Um, who knows he's a host now, but nobody else does, except for, I guess, Dolores. So those are our three main hosts. 
is there any other character that you're like deeply invested in as we head into season two? I mean, I'm pretty invested in naked Ben Barnes on a horse, but I think we've probably seen the last of him. So I hope not. I hope naked Ben Barnes on a horse returns. <laughs> yes. uh, I guess, I guess we should mention Ed Harris uh, yeah. who, as the, ma- as the man in black, AKA old William. I'm, I think I'm just going to call him old William now. I like it. Um, yeah. He, he, uh, the in the season one finale, you know, he he's been searching for this, um, you know, something true. That's what William wants, uh, because he had his heart broken by Dolores not remembering him uh, when she's programmed on his loop. So he wants he wants the robots to achieve consciousness only because he wants a true narrative, not and and I think he wants to see like if Dolores would love him. Were she given free will? Uh, turns out she doesn't. She's like, you're the worst. He's uh, kind of a nice is, guy, but... you know. He's like, <laughs> he's such a nice well, guy. So nice, and then you don't remember me. Well, I'm going to kill everyone now. You know, like it was. Like... <laughs> it was. I I really like the the explosion of bail toxicity and all of that. But um, he ended the season one surrounded by these uh, you know, revolting uh. Not disgusting, as in like they're on a revolt, robots, uh, and he gets shot and he smiles because he's like, aha, now Finally. it's real. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think that's, that's where we are, um, as we, as we open. Yeah. Let, um, let's get into it. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, first off, if you thought that <laughs> there would only be one timeline this season on Westworld, you were wrong. Um, at least though the the show is being like a little bit more transparent with the fact that we're hopping back and forth between the events immediately, uh, you know, after the season one finale, the immediate aftermath of 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 Ford's death. And then two weeks later, as Delos comes in and tries to figure out what happens. And our anchor between those two plot lines is Jeffrey Wright's character, Bernard. Um, so, yeah. So what did you think of this? Open- it like opens with him like glitching a lot of memories. And you're like, oh, my God, we're back. We're back in the crazy world of I don't know when this is Westworld. Yeah. He literally says, like, is it now or something like that? Like, it's yeah. yeah. Um, I-, I was like a little bit like, oh, God, like I'm, I'm already so confused. And it's been like two minutes you know um but the episode is paced out in such a way that it gradually is like no no it's okay we got you we got you you're supposed to be confused right now but in a few minutes we'll sort of start to explain it so i I appreciated that because i think sometimes in the first season um while i enjoyed all the mystery machine of it like it was easy to get lost in like a when and how and where things were happening and this episode is a little more clear on that while still also being a sort of intriguing knot to to pick at yeah, I mean, they were intentionally trying to mislead us in season one, I think not maliciously, but just sort of because they wanted the big shocking reveal. And in this season, at least so far, it doesn't seem like they're trying to hoodwink us. It's a little disorienting, but not um, incomprehensibly so. And uh, so it, it actually opens with Arnold, I presume, Arnold, which is Jeffrey Wright's other character that he plays, the human basis for Bernard, having one of his little like tete-a-tetes with Dolores where he talks about how he's scared of what she's going to become. Mm-hmm. He talks about this dream of an ocean and a distant shore and, you know, basically talking about like what's going to happen when AI becomes sentient and and they sort of colonize a new world. And he's like, I can't go with you. I'm human, sort of is my interpretation of what we see there. But then we get all these flips of presumably what happened in the in the two weeks uh, where everyone was uh, running amok and we see 
Dolores talking to Bernard. We see Bernard shooting a ma- uh, like machine gun into we don't know what. We see a big fight in the map room. We see all this stuff. And then we open, I, I guess, really where we're starting <laughs> after three false starts or so on the beach mm-hmm. with a champagne flute and a sand-covered Jeffrey Wright. And, uh, and we see that uh, Luke Hemsworth is not as some might have feared, dead, but his character, Ashley Stubbs, who's one of the security guys, uh, is alive and well, and we've got a bunch of new characters. Do you want to run us through the the new characters that we meet right off the bat here? Uh, yeah, we meet a character um, named Maling. How do you say her name? I, I I didn't hear it. I've only seen it written. Okay, well, it she, looks like Maling to me. She's yeah. played by Betty Gabriel from Get Out. Uh, right, and she's yep. a, a tough, a tough uh, lady with some cool reflective goggles, and she's um, you know, she's she's you know, like contract military. You know, she has this kind of uh, she has these cards that are rem- reminiscent of the playing cards they had in during the Iraq War, with like you know, like Saddam Hussein's son's faces on them and stuff like that. But she has cards of people she's supposed to protect because, like, otherwise, how would you know who's a host and who's not? Um, right. So she's at first suspicious of Bernard, uh, but then you know sees his face on a priority status high card. Um, so I'm interested to see how how much she's in the narrative. Um, and then we have um, how many scars guards would you say there are, Joanna? <laughs> a peck, a peck uh, of a, baker, a, yeah. <laughs> a Stellan of Skarsgård. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we have another one, Gustav Skarsgård, um, uh, and he plays uh, Carl Strand, who he said identifies himself as head of operations for the Delos Corporation, which runs Westworld. Um, and intriguingly, we see him talking to some actual soldiers uh, who appear to be East Asian. Um, they're speaking a language that I, we're not sure which what language it is. But the implication is that a government of some nearby country where this island, we fi- I think we, this is where we find out that this is on an island, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, we should p- get into that. But yes, yeah, so basically the show is confirming it's an island that it's not you know in the sort of jurisdiction of the united states or anything like that so it's an that's an interesting bit of rather large exposition dealt with in a kind of quick almost offhand way yeah and they do that a couple times in this episode where i feel like i mean i know that jonathan nolan reads all the reddit boards and so i think there are a couple instances here where they're like oh this crazy fan theory let us and answer it for you concretely but quickly as possible and so one one you know, bananas fan theory from season one was that they were on the moon, like Westworld was on the moon or a different planet or under a biodome and stuff like that. And we see that that's not, it doesn't seem to be the case because we see like a battleship sort of off the shore there. So this really just does seem to be an island somewhere off the coast of some Asian country that these soldiers are sort of arguing over jurisdiction. And this Carl Strand character is saying like, I have, you know, we have jurisdiction, um, have this soldier sign an NDA and then get him out of here, oh, like off my fucking island, I believe is what he says. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a rough, rough and tough guy, this Carl Strand of Dulles Incorporated. So, um, yeah. And then we also find out in that scene that, that Ashley Stubb, Luke Hemsworth's character, you know, he was head of security and he's, in deep disgrace because the strand character says this is the single loss of life at a Delos property. The single biggest um, loss of life. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Single biggest loss of life. So and, like, and the Delos property thing is interesting because in this scene, we, we get, we get mention of other Delos properties and he mentions other parks. 
Um, so again, we're expanding the world of the show in a sort of like f- virtual sense where we haven't, we're not going to explore those yet, but like we're now, it's been confirmed that this world, so to speak, is, is, is far bigger than what we've seen so far. Right. Um, and then we get the third and final new character in this little, uh, sequence, um, which is, a, a like a tech character by, uh, called Antoine Costa. Played by Ferris Ferris, who's a Lebanese-born Swedish actor. Um, and he seems like kind of a nice guy, actually. Um, but the we also find out that the hosts have these, like, basically these little black boxes in their head. I don't believe we saw them last season. Basically, if you crack open a host's head, you can get a recording of, I don't know, the last however many hours or maybe their entire existence um, out of this little, like, plug device that you can pull out of their head. We see that that device that black box extracted cleanly later in the episode here he has to do it kind of like uh like you know a little gruesomely cuts the top the of a person's head or the host's head off and takes out their brains and then yeah yeah like cracks open the skull um we do see him he scalps um the the host that he is um you know trying to get inside of and he sees the map underneath the skull and he goes well, what the hell is this and nobody knows what it is and that you know that seems to me to confirm Something we probably already knew that like Arnold and Ford were running plenty of things that like nobody at Dallas knew what it was. So the fact that there was a map, which is a callback, you know, a maze, which is a callback to season one underneath the scalp, like meant nothing to them. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic thing of, you know, we, we've seen this trope in a lot of sci-fi in particular of, you know, mad creator versus corporate thing trying to make money off of it and the clash they're in and and then the people in the middle who get sort of you know are the sort of victims of of the of the result of that clash you know um it's a classic story it's just done on a on a a very strange and epic scope here yeah with more robots Mm -hmm. um and uh and we also get the establishment of the timeline right so uh we find out that it's been two weeks communications have been down for two weeks it's been two Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's please write a new Bare Naked Ladies yeah. uh, song about robots killing people. But um, basically, Strand and Costa and, uh, you know, Stubbs are going to try to figure out what happened. Bernard conveniently has some amnesia or is feigning some. So he can't just like tell them everything that happened. And then we're going to get flashbacks filling in what happened in those two weeks. Um, so that those are our timelines. I, I believe given some of the stuff I've seen in trailers or like the fact that Jimmy Simpson, who plays young William is back this season, mm-hmm. we're going to get even more flashbacks to earlier timelines. But at least right now we know we're operating on these two timelines, which is two weeks ago and now. So, so okay, so here's here's where I got a little confused, and maybe our listeners and watchers of the show got confused. So Bernard is on the beach, washed up on shore, champagne glass next to him. But this is two weeks after the massacre during the party, correct? Yeah, I don't know why he has a champagne glass, because like or, that makes it look like it just happened. But, right, and I think that's maybe uh, yeah. a kind of bait and switch sort of thing. Um, yeah. So it's important to remember that like immediately following the massacre that where Ford is killed by his own design and you know all that stuff it immediately after that Bernard did not like find go to the beach and pass out there's there's right. two weeks of activity that happened between that thing that incident and the start of the show so just bear that in mind that's the, 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 that 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 cuz that was confusing for me for for a while 
yeah, so what we see is we cut to uh, what was happening with Bernard immediately after uh, that party and Ford's death, which is he's cowering in a barn with some other suits and with Tessa Thompson's character, Charlotte, who is in a very impractical get, uh, dress for a life and death situation. Uh, she'll change eventually. But uh, in the meantime, they're trying to figure out what to do. And this is where what's important here. Um, other than the knowledge that the hosts are, you know, killing a bunch of people, we see one of my favorite hosts from se- like background hosts from se- season one, which is uh, Stephen Ogg's character Re- Rebus. He has uh, a mustache. He's a big guy with a mustache. We actually see him die on that beach. Like Strand's men kill him, but here he's alive and well two weeks ago, killing humans mm-hmm. uh, for for sport. Um, but what seems most important in this moment is Bernard has to make a decision to hide his robot identity from these humans that he's hiding with because he sees them kill sort of like an innocent stable boy robot because they're like it doesn't matter they're a robot we can't take a chance and so he feels like he needs to hide who he is uh in order to survive this so yeah yeah. it's interesting because you know the first season of the show um obviously was about um these I mean, maybe pretty quickly, these uh, these robots earning our sympathy, right? Um, yeah. At the same time, though, we watched like dozens, if not hundreds of them be murdered in various ways throughout the season. And it all sort of felt like, okay, like violent and bloody, but like, the, the, you know, they're not real. So it's not a big deal. But now that we're in the second season, like... And and we've really gotten in with with um, well one one we didn't know was a host in the form of of Bernard, um, but then two others who we're rooting for as these kind of avenging you know heroes. Um, it we've gotten to a point where it does kind of feel awful and tragic that this stable boy host was killed, even though we know he's fake, you know, um, yeah. because we've kind of started to care in a way and, and, and wonder who among any of these hosts is also having a moment of dawning consciousness. It can't just be these three, you know. Right. And Bernard looks upon like looks at it in horror saying like, you know, that could be me any second now. So um, we see him get knocked down and then some some white goo starts coming out of his ear, um, which is uh, I'm going to go ahead and say a bad sign for a robot. Uh, We've never I don't (laughs) I don't think we've ever seen white goo dribble out of a, a robot's ear before. You know, they when they get shot, they usually bleed red red stuff right. uh so this this white goo is is something a little new um i couldn't what i couldn't tell in that barn sequence and i rewatched it a couple times it seemed to me like that tremor which will bernard's tremor in his hand which will become very important as the episode goes on seems to me it started before he got his head hit and the white goo started coming out but at any at any point what we do need to know is that bernard is not in good shape mm-hmm. uh something something bad is happening to him physically but he, and we've um, heard tell of no. other hosts malfunctioning whatever like like it's possible like these are machines oh, sure. they can break down so that, yeah 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 but uh in the meantime he's on the run with these uh you know these these fancy guests some of whom we like more than others i mean I, like charlotte's not a great person but you know i'm gonna root for tessa thompson in yeah. any sort of a scenario so uh there we go then we cut to sweetwater uh where we get the the good old classic player piano that we've come to know and, and love from season one uh usually it plays like a fun modern cover song but it is playing scott joplin's the entertainer um you know which is something you would expect to hear come out of a player piano for once um the player, the guy who plays the player piano is dead. And this is like a metaphor they leaned like really heavily on in season one of like, you know, the, I don't know, the piano 
Ford Ford used it all the time to talk about like who is the player, who is the piano, blah, blah, blah. The fact that the piano player is dead to me feels like a little Ford reflection. Like Ford is dead. The pianos aren't charged now. So right. um yeah. l- you know, look out look out for killer pianos. But we've got um, you know, Sweetwater is just a disaster. A bunch of, everyone's dead. And then you know, in in one of those like Westworld for all of its fun twists and turns and theories. Um, it's got all these other trappings of great prestige television, like this amazing score. And I really love the way that the, the entertainer goes from this like dinky plunky piano thing to like, as we zoom out on the park, beautiful string rendition of the music kicks in. Uh, and we start to see, you know, the scope of, of what we're dealing with here. Yeah, no, I, the, the show is beautifully scored, and and the way that they've kind of interwoven, so, you know, popular songs into that is is pretty ingenious. And also, you know, it 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 uh, I don't know, there it, there's some sort of allegorical, metaphorical thing there about like, um, you know, sort of taking cultural references and synthesizing them into something else, and taking parts of a human and synthesizing, or you know, parts of humanity. I don't know. There's something interesting going on there with the music and. And I like that they're they're co- they're conscious of it, and they they gave us a nod to it with the player piano. Yeah, and I'm I'm you know one fun I don't know nerdy dorky thing about Westworld is everyone's sort of wondering what other pop songs yeah. are going to get the player piano treatment this season. We've we've already heard in the trailers we've already heard some uh, Kanye West and some Nirvana, so we'll see like what else might might come up. Uh, well, um, um, the bare, yeah. bare, bare naked ladies, obviously bare naked yeah. ladies. Mm-hmm. Keep your keep your ears peeled for two weeks uh, or one. It's called one week. One sorry, week, yeah. uh, one week, just the one. All right. So um, then we here we see Dolores in full like vengeance mode. She's yeah. stringing up. She's stringing up people in formal wear. She's mo- she's villain monologuing uh, or righteous hero monologuing, depending however you want to define it. She does a little uh, Evan Rachel. What is called Westworld the acting Olympics. So we see her like try to do a little bit of that. She like she tries on the mask of the rancher's daughter, then Wyatt, and then she's like, I'm a third thing now. I'm myself. Um, and I I gotta say, like I'm not fully on Dolores's team here. No, no. as uh, you know, like I'm sure these suits are like pretty bad people. But when you see humans begging for their lives and someone being just like really dispassionately dispatching them, um, I with a smirk, I I I don't know. Like, are are is is Dolores our villain or is she our hero now or is it some complicated in between space yeah I mean it's 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 a question of you know what 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 how far do you have to go to kind of earn your independence and you know uh she's but the thing is like she's torturing these people essentially so like yeah it's but uh but that's that's kind of the nature of the place you know that's how everything is built there and so she's just kind of responding in kind my guess would be that the season will find that sort of attitude changing if not softening like i feel like her growth is is you know she's at the very beginning of her growth and maybe um it, it's a violent birth let's say um but I, I i i don't i don't see the character unless they really do something interesting and decide like yeah fuck it she's the villain <laughs> you know and mave is actually the hero who knows Maves are here, or maybe it's stealthily James Marsden. Because, like, Marsden yeah. in this scene and then later just sort of seems a little weirded out by Dolores, like, yeah. actively torturing people. So I also know, think that, like, um, Teddy uh, is, and Marsden is a big enough actor that, like, yeah. there's, there's, he's going to have stuff to do, even though he doesn't have much in this. He's kind of just watching, which is an interesting gender flip, and I don't mind that, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would assume that Teddy, something will, there will be, there'll be a clash between them. 
Yeah, and I hope that's true because Teddy, I liked the way that Teddy was used sort of as a, like a himbo and a decoy in, in season one. Um, but I would like to see, uh, Marzen as Teddy get more to do this season. And, and it seems like he might be, you know, Dolores seems to focus in on him being, I don't know, her constant to use another, uh, lost phrase. And, uh, I, I don't know if he's up, he's up for that task. Okay. And then we have another time jump, right? Cause we're assuming, Actually, we're assuming all of that with Dolores is and Teddy is happening. Yes, right after the party because mm-hmm. we still have people alive in formal wear. Yeah. So, so that that was two weeks ago, and this is also two weeks ago. We find out how Ed Harris survived an entire tree line of murderous robots coming at him, which is he hid under a dead body, which sure. is classic uh, strategy. You know, yeah, classic. Um, and we see the wolf wandering through the scene, which is some a motif that's come up a bunch of times on Westworld. This wolf just. Sort of trotting through a uh, carnage, and um, and then we see that like Ed Harris's character, old William, goes to like I don't know his safe house. Uh, he's got a stash of like fresh clothes, and he like he sees one Delos guy get get killed. He manages to murder a couple robots. He's really excited. He's so excited. He's talking to a horse about it, uh, and he goes inside and he dresses his wounds and he puts the black hat back on. So, old William is ready to party in this new <laughs> this new era of the He's park. He's back in black. Yep. And back in black. Well, that should definitely be a player piano <laughs> song. Um, yeah, and so I think that's it. it. We That's all we get for old, old William. I... I'm curious. Oh, no, no. We get another great scene. Okay. We'll go back to that. All right. Um, And then we get actually, okay, this is surprisingly one of my favorite storylines that seems to be kicking up in season two. Um, The character of Lee Sizemore, who is this like terrible, debauched British writer that Anthony Hopkins' character Ford thought was a complete hack in season one. Uh, He's like a little bit of comic relief, kind of useless. They've teamed him up with Maeve, it seems like, this season, at least in this episode. And yeah. uh, I love this dynamic. What do you think? I of... think it's fun watching yeah. a a writer kind of tortured by his own creation or or sort of yeah. at, the, at the mercy of his own creation, which, like, you know, you could probably ask any, like, majorly famous author, Michael Crichton, were he alive, like, might even say the same thing of, like, like who starts, who owns you? Does Jurassic, did Jurassic Park own Michael Crichton or did Michael Crichton own Jurassic Park? You know, whatever. So right. I think there's an interesting, funny dynamic there that also, you know, um, it's always interesting with the second season, especially a show like this with a sprawling cast of, like, who they've decided to focus on, you know? Yeah. Like, like who kind of made the cut. And it's interesting that the, the the Lee character was one of them. I think because the um, the actor's good and it's funny and, and, and um, he and um, Maeve have such a good um, rapport um, that is about as funny as this show gets. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think it's I think it's fun, and I uh, I think and the scene where where it opens where he's being attacked by the cannibal that he created in season one um, is super creepy and um, but also kind of funny. So I'm I'm looking for I think I agree with you, Joanna. That I'm I mean, Maeve was my favorite last year, so I'm or last season, so um, I think she's going to be mine again. Yeah, and I um I I was rewatching season one, and there is like you know 
we know that Sizemore created this cannibal, but like he was, he was feeding the cannibal lines. He's like, Oh, try it again. But this time say like, I like them moist. And that's exactly the line mm-hmm. that this cannibal uses as he approaches him. So that's a, like a fun, very specific callback to season one. Um, and then we find out where Maeve's daughter is, which is sector, sector 15, which is exactly kind of where we left her. I think a lot of theories last season were that Maeve's daughter might be in Shogun world or she might be in a different world somewhere. And that's where Maeve have to go. But she's, she's just back on the, homestead apparently um though sizemore does point out that because ford last season was terraforming the park um, maps are a little useless uh this season yeah and the tariff the the terraforming stuff is like one of the shows like to me bigger bits of magic you know where they're like uh it was uh terraformed you know they just it's a it's a way (laughs) to kind of explain things away um though it does kind of make sense because we saw the the scene um from last season where Teresa is having lunch with ford and there are these huge churning machines and now we sort of get a sense of what that was all about um i for some reason i thought he was like trying to dig something up in the last season so anyway i'm um but yeah so i think that like hopefully they won't rely too much on the like uh and then it was terraformed and now it's you know like i i hope that they they use it sparingly let's say where did this lake come from uh terraformed, terraformed, obviously yeah. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> clearly clearly um and then we jump back in time forward to bernard and the delos people and bernard is able to recognize a trap when he sees one and a bunch of the delos people go off and get killed but charlotte wisely stays with bernard and is safe we see Tallulah riley's character angela and, and we mentioned in the preview podcast that Tallulah riley has been bumped to a series regular what did so we angela, see her doing in the first season again because I, I i don't i didn't really remember her to be honest um like i i mean i remembered her but yeah so she was so we first met her as an intake host she was the one who sort of got a uh, young william costumed in the first that's place. right yep and then we saw her in flashbacks to the beginning of the park so we know she's a very old original robot and then towards the end of season one she entered the park in sort of um you know old west gear as an agent of wyatt and she right. sort of yeah. uh, menaces old William and stuff like that. And so now we see her. I don't know where she got that crown. <laughs> she's wearing. Yeah, it seems well, to be wearing a crown of thorns. Almost. She terraformed now. it, Joanna. Uh, yeah, she terraformed herself a yeah. crown, and uh, she's got a like a whole bunch of. Um, you know, henchmen in like BDS old timey BDSM gear, and this is what she's doing. She's menacing people. So, um, but Charlotte and Bernard survive, and Charlotte knows this is a thing. This is like this is kind of like the terraforming, which is that Bernard will know things about the park that no one else does because he was Ford's right hand man, and maybe has some residual Arnold in him, possibly. Charlotte knows things that no one else does because she was running like a secret underground, you know, side quest for Delos. Um, you know, and I'm sure Dolores will know things that people don't know. So like, you know, there are going to be little nooks and crannies of the park that various people have information of. This is another slight cheat. It's like, oh, of course, there's an underground lab right here. It's fine. I know about it. It's fine. There's a handle under a rock. It'll be fine. Just just go with it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we... Um, we get a little bit more of, of Maven Sizemore. It's like sort of more of the same thing where, you know, we, we see like him having kind of an opportunity to sell her out, which he kind of takes and her having an opportunity to sell him out, which she doesn't. And they're kind of these reluctant allies who could maybe sell each other at any point. Um, and then, you know, we get a repeat of that thing where she uses one of his lines against him. She says, I will relieve you of your most precious organ and feed it to you, though it won't make much of a meal. His delivery of, I wrote that for you is, 
precious. It's really good. Yeah. And then she has this great meta commentary. She's like, I always thought it was like a bit broad or whatever, you <laughs> yeah. know? And it's just yeah. sort of like, it's this nice little meta commentary on, on writing and cliches. And I like that, that in, um, in Maeve's like awakening and turning into like a genius, you know, uh, sentient robot that she's like also got funny. I mean, she's always been sort of funny, but like, I don't know. I just like that. Like she has this kind of biting sense of humor and, and, and a little bit of compassion, you know, like in sort of keeping the guy alive. And, and I, I don't know. So I, I think that that character, whereas um, Dolores is going through this kind of major, you know, transformation into sort of Messiah, sort of whatever. I like that Maeve's transformation is a little smaller, but sort of cleverer and sharper. Um, I don't know. Again, she remains my favorite character. Yeah, I'm. I'm more willing to root for her because yeah. her her quest is sympathetic. She's trying to find her daughter, even if it is like a robot, right? Her treatment of Sizemore is dismissive, but she doesn't just like kill him. She needs him. She doesn't just kill him. She's got this weird like quasi love story with Rodrigo Santoro's Hector. Yeah, uh, she left him for dead, but they still have this like romantic reunion kiss on the rooftop. He doesn't bar even care. He's sunset. just like, I would. That's what I expected you to do. It's fine. <laughs> like he's like, it's great. That was on brand for you. You're back. I'm really happy. He's like, oh, you're not back for me. You're back for your daughter. That's fine. I'll just help you. It's fine. Um, and we see, we do see her kill a bunch of humans in in like when she gets sort of surrounded there. But that seems like a fight for your life scenario, not a cruelly just dispatching people for fun which is what Dolores is doing. So yeah, if I if I'm to follow one of these three robot messiahs, like am I a Miranda or a Charlotte or whatever? Am I a Bernard, a Maeve or a Dolores? I'm a Maeve like every time. So, yeah. Yeah, and does this mean that um Armistice is gone? Like is she were we assuming she's dead? Oh, um I think that actress is coming back because also um Leonardo um Nam who played Felix, the like uh really sweet tech who was helping her. Yeah. He's also coming back. So, so we'll just we, yeah. we'll get them hopefully eventually. Um Good, because I liked her. Is my I know, I liked both of them a lot. So um and then we get this, you know, Charlotte takes us to this secret lab where we actually learn a lot of information. Yeah, so yeah, one... we should really unpack some of that because I'm confused about some of it. Okay, what what questions well, okay, do you Okay, so like there, there's this, we saw at the end of the first season that one of the hosts, Abernathy, who was for, for a long time playing Dolores' father, that mm-hmm. he kind of glitched out because he saw this picture and, you know, a photograph from the real world. Uh, they kind of put him in cold storage. But then they brought him back out, kind of refixed his brain and put something in and sent him out of the park or were planning on sending him out of the park. Right. 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 So do we how much of that do we do we have any sense of what that's all about? Why someone from Delos would be trying to smuggle their own property out of the park? I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts in Dea at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people and a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. 
Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Yes. Okay. So Delos wants to make sure it retains all the um, all the code, all the intellectual property of the park. Their plan was to fire Ford and um, – yeah, so their plan was to fire Ford and um, they were worried that he would wipe the park clean and that they would be left with nothing. Right. So they were trying to smuggle out basically like the backup drives – uh, inside Abernathy. And this is this was like the weird plot in season one where like a host was trying to transmit something to a satellite and they found like this stray host out in the park glitching and Teresa was like responsible yeah. for putting him out there. Like that was Teresa trying to do Charlotte's bidding, which is uh, like offload some of this IP or all of the IP, all the like baseline code out of the park as a backup. So Delos like, you know, could retain it uh, mm-hmm. with even without Ford. So that's why they need this, you know, she put it all, the the Charlotte's next step was to put it all in Abernathy and their plan was to have Abernathy get on a train and leave the park and take it out that way. And Um, and the the importance of the mission has now gone from, so Ford is now out of the picture, he hasn't wiped anything, so potentially their 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 investment, their IP is 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 somewhat safe. But now they need to get Abernathy because Delos won't help them get off the the island or whatever unless they have that 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 host right so so now it's more of a mission of survival for charlotte and bernard and whoever else than it is about like smuggling ip yes though though absolutely yes though also delos um like clearly doesn't trust that ford doesn't have like a sneaky virus that might like and you know in the event of my death wipe everything so they you know delos still thinks that abernathy is very important uh for their backup purposes and then charlotte and bernard you know are desperate to find him because he's their ticket out of there and we should mention that uh lewis hertham who plays abernathy was also bunked a series regular so he is very important but we also learned this crazy the other thing in this underground lab, which is like a, they're drone hosts, which means they're hosts that are like can you know uh, are offline. So you know the system isn't tracking them. A and B, they're collecting those little mind eggs, which has recordings of what the host has seen, and DNA samples. We see them swabbing this host's pubes. <laughs> um, this so this was like a um, this was a thing that hardcore fans found like buried in the code of some website in the terms of service. I think it was for Delos incorporated on some like website in season one, which is like, if you sign the contract to go into the park of Westworld, you sign over the right to your DNA. (laughs) Um, And this is a crazy thing. That's like buried in the contract that we presume most of the guests don't read. And they're just like, you know, it's like, it's like signing up for Facebook. And then you're like, sure, sure. Whatever, you know, Cambridge Analytica. So like go to Westworld, sign over the rights to your DNA. So they're collecting the DNA of the hosts and they're collecting these, um, what Bernard calls the host experience. So recordings of what the DNA of the guests, you mean? Sorry, sorry. The yeah. DNA of the guests. Yeah. So, like, if you're like, let's say, I don't know, let's like Paul Ryan. Let's say you're Paul Ryan. You decide to go to Westworld and like get your, you know, like exercise your dark fantasies, right? Mm-hmm. When you leave the park, Delos Incorporated will be in possession of a video of you doing like the very worst thing that you've done, right? And Which, B, like- your DNA, so they could clone you if they wanted to. <laughs> and so this seems to be a confirmation of some of the questions around 
you know, there was some talk in season one of Delos Incorporated saying like the Delos people saying, you think this is just like a pleasure ground for the rich? No, we have a bigger plan here. And this seems to be their big plan, which is collecting the DNA and incriminating information on the rich and famous uh, in order to... Uh, take over the world is what I would do with yeah, that information. Sure, so, and then, and then if they uh, don't they don't comply, you just kill them and clone them, right? With the exactly. DNA or whatever, you make a host that yeah. looks like them. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So big so, implications. Yeah. So that's that's a huge amount of information that was dropped in that little scene there. All the while, and this this is something that I kind of appreciate about this. Like all the while, we've got this other urgent thing, which is um, Bernard kind of glitching out and him finding that there's like a ticking time bomb he's got i think it's like 0.72 hours until terminal malfunction so he's got a clock on what's going on with him so charlotte and bernard have a quest which is to find abernathy but he gives himself some sort of injection and then is like okay i think he's like i think it was like a band-aid i think he can like he's i think he's still at terminal function in 0.72 hours but he can like stand upright and fool how did he get to be at terminal function was it just because that was what something Ford had sort of planned or like an obsolescence or something? Or because uh, he wasn't like injured in the massacre, was he? Well, that was my question about when he hit his head in the barn and that white goose started coming out of Maybe his head. Maybe that was like, when I, it was. That, that, that might have been it. But there yeah. also seemed to be a tremor before that, too. So I, I don't quite know exactly what the inciting event is. But we do know that, like, Bernard has a clock on him. So he's going to want to get to, like, Charlotte's going to want to find Abernathy. His uh, priority is going to be to, like, get back to headquarters to be able to, like, fully fix himself, to have some privacy and fix himself. Or maybe find Shannon Woodward's character, Elsie, who you already mentioned in our previous episode. So do you want to see again? Like she could fix him. Like, you know, someone needs to fix Bernard. So, and we know someone does because he's alive two weeks later. So, you know. Um, All right. And then we get, (laughs) this is another thing that I like really admire in this episode. I think it's really tidy. We, Anthony Hopkins is not back this season. But we do get Ford back, at least temporarily, which is, you know, the the young robot version of, like, baby Ford, uh, you know, 12-year-old Ford or whatever, encounters old William in the park. And I don't know young if they Ford, had Young Ford, old it. William. Yes, young Ford, old William. The classic tale. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if uh, Anthony Hopkins came in to do some ADR or if they just, like, snipped out some of his like line readings, but you get this great robot voice coming from young Ford, which is like the kid's voice. And then a robot voice that sounds to me like it's got some Welshy tones. It sounds to me like Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. voice. Oh yeah. So, totally. Um, and he basically like, he does not like old William. <laughs> um, and he's like, you got a new quest. Um, you got to find the door. Season one was the maze. Season two is called the door. You got to find the door. You're in my game now, bitch. Uh, you got to make it back out of this park alive. Good luck. Um, and then he gives him a cryptic little Alice in Wonderland esque. Every uh, you know, the game begins where you end and ends where you begin. Whatever, right? You know, ends where you began. Um, and then uh, and then this is my favorite part actually. And then old William kills baby robot Ford. Yeah. And I I, I you know I. We have show notes that we look at. I wrote in our show notes uh, the Walt problem. You can't have a robot of a kid wandering around for multiple seasons because that kid actor is going to grow. So they're like, guess what? We killed the kid robot. Yeah. No, He's I mean, they, they handled all that. They terraformed that, <laughs> yeah. right? Yep. They, yes. Um, <laughs> so the, where, the game begins where you end and where ends where you began. Yeah. 
I don't know about the first part of that, but the second part of it sounds like Dolores, doesn't it? Like yes, yes. That he, he, his aim is that she'll eventually kill him. Yeah, or um, you know, if he wants to get out, he has to go back to the start. Like right. he began with Dolores. She's the door out of there, so maybe like he has to help her escape, and that's the only way he's going to get out of the park. That could be an idea. Or you could make the argument that like when the when young William characters turned, maybe where he began really was naked Ben Barnes on a horse. Um, fingers crossed <laughs> for naked Ben Barnes yeah, on a horse. Just saying. <laughs> Just like do whatever you can, Westworld, to terraform naked Ben Barnes. <laughs> terraform into our hearts. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, the two last things I want to talk about um, are this scene where Maeve and Hector and Sizemore have their costume changed. Basically, they're going to get into Old West gear. We already saw Charlotte, Tessa Thompson's character, get into Old West gear. Once again, I think this goes back to my formal wear theory. Like, yeah. if you want to blend into the <laughs> park gotta, yeah. and <laughs> and not get shot by the other host, you got to look like a host. So get those Western duds back on your body. So, um, you know, they're going to cowboy up the married trio of Hector, Maeve, and Sizemore. And it's turning and the show back into a Western, which is kind of funny. It's like a literal, like, yeah. okay, we're, we're now redonning the costume of, you know, the first kind of parts of the season, the show. So, yeah, it's a funny right. little, like, device. Pick your pick your white hat, black hat. Here we go. Yeah. But uh, we get this nice reversal of all the nudity that was seasoned season one. Mm-hmm. Tandy Newton was nude for, like, 85% of season one. God bless her, yeah. In this scene, we have her stripping down the size marker. She's like, all the way, buddy. Just to do it. Uh, Yeah, just to do it. I mean, this is her like kind of evil Dolores moment, right? She's like, you know what? You know how many times you guys made me get naked? You get to get naked now, all the way. And, uh, you know, and the camera just like stays on, on, you know, this guy as it did on on Maeve in season one and yeah nice little I mean we had naked naked guys in season one Mm -hmm. uh actors Rodrigo Santoro and James Marsden you know gamely got naked but like it it does seem to be like a nice like really flipped gender gaze and (laughs) robot gaze and whatever you know yeah I think it's a lot of that going on you know contextually in the show you know which is which is um which is exciting to see because when the show first premiered there was a lot of understanding you know understandable and necessary debate about like uh, this is a show just about like w- women robots being preyed upon, but like the show, you know, was savvy to that and is now really making that part of the narrative. That's the sort of inverting of that. Yeah. So, um, and the last thing that we will talk about before we do some like wrap up is the final Teddy and Dolores scene. This is also a reversal of season one where Dolores is basically begging Teddy, like, let's just go. And Teddy, because he was programmed to make her stay, was like, yeah, someday we'll go. And, uh, you know, and so this time Teddy's like, let's just go, though, and stop killing people. Yeah. And, and Dolores is like, no, we got work to do. We have to take over this park and then we got to conquer the real world, too. Like, I've seen the past, the present, and the future. I know how this ends. It ends with us. And Teddy's like, oh, I'm not so sure, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then, and then Angela and her, you know, terraformed crown ride up and uh, say, you know, I've got something to show you. And Dolores, like, basically tells Teddy, you're going to get woke now. I'm going to wake you up. You're going to see a thing. Uh, yeah. I don't know what it is. Well, we can discuss what we think it might be. Because um, yeah. eventually, and- like, it seems that, like, all hosts are capable of this of this awareness like obviously it was sort of built into Dolores's code by Ford and 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 into Maves by Ford as well but like but it seems possible that a host could help another host sort of become aware right um yeah. that's kind of the implication 
And our very last thing we get, obviously, is first we see uh, Ford not only dead, but uh, with maggots. Two mm-hmm. weeks later, with maggots in him. And this, to me, destroys the fan theory that like that was a host version of Ford and Ford's not really dead and Anthony Hopkins is coming back. Anthony Hopkins is gone. Ford is dead. That is human meat being uh, chewed on by maggots. And to me, that feels like the creator is just really killing another fan theory. Um we see a tiger wash up on shore, and I think uh, Stubb says like that's from Park Six or something like that. You know, like another yeah. park has has Bengal tigers. What is it doing over here? Uh, it, so our first indication that there's like sort of a bleed between the parks in those intervening two weeks, and then the final spectacular shot is this overhead of a lake filled with dead bodies mm-hmm. of hosts. It would appear. And I believe, I mean, I rewatched it a couple times. The vowels are a little muddy here, but I believe Bernard says, I killed them all. Mm, right? Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say like he killed them all or she killed them yeah. all. He said, I killed them all. Yeah. So what happened in the last two weeks that Bernard and, killed? Yeah. I get, and the question is, where is Charlotte? Because, you know, she and Bernard have teamed up two weeks, you know, in the two weeks ago plot line. But like two weeks later, when he when Bernard is with all the soldiers and is found on the beach, she's nowhere to be seen. So like where... Um, where did she go? Like that. So I, I guess it looks like now the season is going to be a two week thing almost, or at least maybe the first half of the season. Right. And so where's Charlotte? And we don't know where Dolores is in the modern timeline. Like the last thing we saw was video taken out of that ghost nation host at the beginning of her. She's like, not everyone gets to come brother. Not everyone's worthy or whatever. Um, and she kills him. So like, it seems like uh, Dolores is purging unworthy hosts or whatever for whatever she had planned, but we don't know where she is in the present in the two weeks later. Is she, she escaped? Is she out in the real world now? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that is it for season two, episode one. Do we, before we go, have any... Well, first of all, I want to say, if you're listening to this, if you're enjoying this show, um, please do go ahead and send us an email. We've got an email set up called stillwatchingpod at gmail.com where you can email us your theories, your questions, correct us on little errors we made. We always love that kind of stuff. Or you can tweet at us if you want to. I'm at Joe Wrote This, Richard is Rylaws. But before we go, we want to do like a little theory corner. I've only seen the first episode. I'm like very much trying to watch it like episode by episode. Me too. So we don't know any spoilers. No. Um, so like, what do we think? What like, do you have any theories? Big theories of what's going on? Um, I I don't. You know, I'm I'm I I'm so like open minded about the show. Like, I'm just I because I, I really have no idea where it's gonna go. I mean, it's 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 like lost in that way where I I I spent so much time theorizing about that show and I was so wrong about so many things that I'm trying to avoid like the bigger grander stuff. But um, I my theory right now is that uh, I really I think I, I'm I'm very curious to see what 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 happens with Teddy as the season goes on because I think that they're setting that up for something interesting because I go I don't think you keep, think, keep James Morrison around without sort of giving him something to do. Yeah, I like that a lot, and I like your theory. Like you kind of planted this theory in my mind that like old William is going to have to help. Dolores right. escape. Yeah. And um, so that's, you know, I, I feel like a lot of questions, we had a lot of questions about does season one end with all the hosts escaping the park? Turns out, no. <laughs> They're yeah. all still there. Um, but I kind of wonder if season two is going to end with at least Dolores getting off off the reservation. So we'll, we'll see what, what happens there. Um, 
All right. Anything else we want to discuss before we... And we are going to see other worlds. Like, it's been confirmed that we're going to see this Shogun world, which is, I think, you know, a sort of feudal Japan situation. Um, maybe there will be others that will be, will be shown. So I just, I think the show's scope is going to keep widening while also, you know, with the dawning of the Western clothes, it's still going to be in the Old West for, for the most part. Yeah. Um, we've got a bunch of new characters, too. Like, we met three, at least, new characters in this um, episode. But we've, we've also got, you know, we should say with Shogun World, we've got, like, a bunch of uh, new Japanese um, actors joining the cast. I am super excited for Rinko Kikuchi, mm-hmm. who I love. Os- Oscar nominee Rinko Kikuchi uh, joining the cast, uh, as well as a couple others, like uh, uh, Hiroyuki Sanada, who people might know from, like, The Wolverine or Last Samurai. There's, like, a bunch of uh, Japanese actors who know their way around a katana. So we might see some like really fun fighting. And uh, we, also, we also have a couple um, native actors. There's uh, Julia Jones, who's of Choctaw and Chickasaw descent. and Who uh, I went to high Zane, school with. I, oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, fun. And Zane McLaren or Zan McLaren. I'm not sure how to pronounce his first name, but he like he killed it in Fargo season two. Uh, and so he's he's of Lakota descent. So like these two, I think, are going to give us some like dimension to the ghost nation, um, which I think is really needed because they were just like these painted natives in yeah. season one. And I would like some actual humanity. So they hired two top notch actors for these parts. So I'm really excited to see sort of what they do with these um, these other cultures that they're trying to explore uh, in these fictional worlds. All right, that is it for Still Watching Westworld. We will be back with episode two. Uh, we'll see if Reddit has like proved us wrong. The last thing, the last tidbit I'll leave you with is that the camera lingers on a face in the water. And Richard and I both looked really closely at it. Yeah. We don't have a lot of theories, except for maybe it's naked Ben Barnes with clothes back on, but that doesn't make sense in the timeline. Looks kind of Ben's Barnes-ish to us. We're not sure if we're supposed to know who that is. If you think you know, you should email us still watching pod at gmail.com we're recording this before sunday night so it's possible reddit has already figured this out but uh, that's a little like a question for you guys that i would love for you to answer for us um otherwise we will see you next week happy terraforming these violent delights and violent ends Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.